0: Good morning, and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's just so good to have you guys with us today. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend is supposed to be warm. It is not warm outside. I've been very sad about that all weekend. Hey, today is a great day to join us. If it's your first day here, then uh, you picked a, a wild time to be here. We are in a series called, I'm Fine not really. And we're talking about some big, important things that we need to talk to. And honestly, if it's your first Sunday, I'm glad you're here for this, because you get to experience a part of who we are as a church uh, that I really believe makes us special. And so today we're talking about that, I'm fine, not really, not really. How many of us honestly answer the question, how are you? none of us we all say i'm great i'm fine doing good hey doing great man i'm well how are you doing we just get that how are you doing out as quickly as we can to get the don't look at me how are you doing we get there but we've also probably experienced the opposite of that when people go the wrong direction have you ever been there hey how are you doing well my dog got cancer and you're like oh no oh no that got too dark too quick <laughs> We We don't want to create a bunch of folks that make people feel awkward every time they say, how are you doing? That's not our goal in this series. Our goal in this series is to make sure that you have a safe space, the right environment to answer the question, how are you doing with complete and total honesty and vulnerability? That's what we want. We want you to know you're not alone. We want you to know it's okay to ask for help. And we want you to know that this is a place uh, where it's okay to be open about the process you are on to finding freedom. As a resource for the message this week and next week, I used a new book by one of the pastors in our network. So we're part of a network called the Association of Related Churches. And it's an incredible network that I'm so honored to be a part of it. And at the head of that network is a pastor named Chris Hodges. And he's engineered a lot of uh, the way that we do church. And a lot of our resources were written by him. He's a great writer. And this new book is called Out of the Cave. And it's about his mental health struggle. And so I've used it as a resource today and next week. And if you are hearing this message or you come back next week and hear it, you want more you feel that you you need to understand a little bit more, you want to go a little deeper in the topic, we've got a copy for you at our next Steps table for free. And so you can just go out there and ask for that. And uh, we've got it. If we don't have a copy, then just let them know you want want to come back next week. We'll have some more. So Out of the Cave is a great book. Well, today's message is titled, How Did I Get Here? How Did I Get Here? How Did I Get Here? You know, normally I I like to tell big stories and laugh and have a good time and bring a ton of energy to the stage. I'm fun, guys. I'm a very fun person. That's who I am. But I think that we don't always need a pastor to get up and tell a big story and, and have fun. That Sometimes what we really need on Sunday is for somebody to roll up their sleeves and show us their scars. And that's what I want to do today. I want to be honest with you and and share a part of my journey with you um, to let you know that you're not alone and to give you some encouragement that there is hope on the other side. Um, How did I get here? My struggle with anxiety and depression and some of their closest friends began a long time ago. I can look back and see seeds of it when I was as young as middle school aged, when I was in middle school, I I got bullied at church, I got bullied at school, and I began to hear this narrative inside my head that I wasn't good enough for I don't know what, maybe anything, maybe everything, that, that, that I just wasn't good enough. I heard it in the voices of those bullies, and I began to believe it deep down in my soul. When I was 19 years old, I was in the Coast Guard doing a stressful and dangerous job in a toxic work culture and environment. At this point in my life, I had rejected the church. I hated anything to do with the church. I didn't like Christians particularly. I just wanted to be separated from it. I felt in my heart in this season that I was never going to go anywhere, that I was never going to be anyone. I was never going to amount to anything, that I was worthless. In my soul, I just felt empty. Empty. Like there was this big void where something important was supposed to be. And I filled up that emptiness with anger, bitterness, anxiety that the walls of my life were caving in, and a deep self hatred. And it grew and it grew and it only got worse. It's just hard to put my mental state at this part of my life into words. I was depressed. It was all-consuming. My dread, my pain, my hatred, it filled every single thought. I had convinced the world around me that I was fun, I was happy, I was the life of the party, but inside I was dead. I hear the term lost thrown around when we talk about people who don't follow Jesus I used to get frustrated at I'm Like, well, they're not lost. They're right there. I know where they are. But I felt lost, untethered, adrift. Just, just like I didn't have a good answer for any of the questions that life kept bringing me. Eventually, I had fully convinced myself that I only brought pain and punishment to the world that I lived in. I just became 100% positive. That the world would be a lot better, that the people in my life would be a lot better without me in it. I became certain that the only way I'd ever silence the emptiness I felt inside would be to end my life. And so I made a solid attempt at it, but it failed. And a few weeks after that, I gave my life to Jesus and it changed it changed me it changed everything my perspective was different my world was different i had hope in my heart that i had never had before i would describe if you boiled who i was before i met jesus down to one word it's hopeless i saw no hope for the future and when i entered into relationship with him for the very first time in my life i felt hope I felt meaning. I felt purpose. I felt like there was a future for me, like there, was, like there was value in me. It was amazing. It was truly incredible. And it gave me hope and strength to start the very long journey that lay in front of me to start to work against that depression, to combat that depression. It did not go away the day that I gave my life to Jesus. I woke up the next morning, and I still had depression and anxiety, but I now had a fresh hope. I now had a way forward. I now had a reason to fight. And that's what I did. I fought. I fought hard for a long time. Don't think weeks, think years. And I came to a place between a ton of prayer and scripture, between asking God, and between professional help where I finally started to feel healed, where I felt joy in a way that I hadn't experienced it in a long time, where where I felt full, where I just didn't feel the voice of depression speaking into my mind anymore. It's wonderful, it's incredible. But it hasn't all been easy since then. And it hasn't all been effortless and it hasn't all gone away forever and my mental health hasn't always been good depression depression has another face called anxiety and i began to face it for the first time seriously just last year anxiety is about fear fear that a long that is long and lasting and drawn out it's an excessive uneasiness it's apprehension towards everything. It's when small things feel like giant things. It's when little tasks feel impossible to you. It's when fear overtakes your mind. It's when fear moves from the hypothetical to the tangible. It's when the what-ifs of life suffocate your brain, when you can't fall asleep at night, when your imagination runs haywire with no boundaries or limitations. It's when your chest is tight and your breathing is shallow and your head is dizzy. It's when your lungs speed up to a frenetic pace and your heart begins to beat outside of your skin. Anxiety is a mental and physical challenge that begins deep in the realm of your mind. Last summer, after months of making one impossible decision after another, after watching the world fall apart, after constantly wondering if this church, this thing that I'd given my life to build would even make it out of it, after having one hard conversation after another and feeling like I was letting everyone down, I began to feel truly anxious, short of breath, panicked, erratic, unable to make even the smallest decisions, snappy at everyone in my life. Then I was bordering into taking that journey back into the depression that I once was freed from. And I found myself asking the question, how did I get here? How did I end up here again? How did this happen to me? How, what's wrong with me? Why am I so broken? How did I get here? And that was the moment that I knew I needed to ask for help. I believe there are three words that will forever change your life. I need help. This past year, if you felt any of these ways or maybe just throughout your life if you struggled with it, you're not alone. You are not alone. This past year, the statistics have skyrocketed on the mental health of our country. Last year, 19% of Americans sought professional help for anxiety. Or depression. And one in four people under 21 years old made a plan to attempt suicide. 25%. 25% of people in a survey of 40,000 people held by the National Mental Health Organization said that they felt anxious or depressed, but didn't know who to talk to about it. That's just the people who've admitted it, who are willing to write it on a survey, who are willing to say, it's me. It's a very real problem. And it's not just a problem that is biological or emotional, because it is. Last week, if you missed last week, Pastor Chip Judd, uh, who is a professional counselor, who is my professional counselor, preached an incredible message where he talked all about the biological and physical and emotional sides of anxiety and depression. And if you missed it, you need to hear it, because you need to know that that's what we believe about all of this but it's not just one thing. It's biological, it's emotional, it's situational, it's physical, and it's spiritual. And the answer to how we treat the mental health issues that we struggle with, specifically anxiety and depression, should never be simplified. It should never be made into a simple, well, you just need to, or all you've got to do is, or have you tried, or maybe you just, it's not simple. It is every part of us that suffers in these ways. And so, the answer to how we confront these issues is complicated, and it's a long-form answer, not a short-form answer. And what I want to start with is that I know that as, as the church, big C church, the people of God, over the last couple centuries, we have not done a very good job with this, We've boiled it down, we've simplified it, we've ignored it, we've put it in the closet, we've hidden it in the darkness, we've, we've made it something that it's not, we've said you don't have enough faith, or you don't, you're, not, you're not trying, you're not praying enough, you're not trying hard enough, or all you need to do is cheer up. It's bigger than that. And along with all those answers, we've attached this stigma to mental health and to asking for help with our mental health. I have to take a medication every single day for my lungs. I have uh, asthma, and I have to take an inhaled steroid every single day, or I can't breathe. I'll gasp for air, and I'm certain if you hear that, uh, but you know that I, I need this medication because a part of my body is unwell, and I'm doing whatever I need to do in order to survive. And to make that part of my body well again, you wouldn't be shocked by that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think, I don't know if he should do that. You know what? Maybe he should just pray a little bit more and, and gasp for air a little bit harder. Uh, you wouldn't expect that of me. I think in the same way that if somebody needs professional or medical help for a part of their body that is unwell, their mind, we need to remove the stigma. And we need to say, it is okay for you to do what you need to do to treat a part of your body that is unwell. We need to eliminate it from the church. I'm telling you, if you missed the talk with Pastor Chip last week, you need to watch it so that you can understand this more. It brings clarity. He's, he shares a lot of the things in this message uh, that we had last Sunday that have helped me in my journey as he's been my counselor, and I would just love for you to hear it. But I want to talk today and next week, really, about more of the practical and spiritual side of this, but I need you to hear me tell you that this isn't the only thing you need to think about as you go through this journey. But I do want to talk to you about the spiritual side because we've made a stigma out of this while the Bible has never done so. The Bible's never shied away from this topic. It's never shied away from the topic of anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts or any of it. In fact, there's folks in the Bible who struggled with it just like you and I may struggle today. Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3 writes this. He says, he's broken my teeth with gravel and he's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. And I remember my affliction and my wandering and the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. I wonder if Jeremiah put into poetic words the condition of your heart today, how you felt. I just think that there's, a, there's this passage in the Bible, it just more clearly describes the way that I've felt inside at times than anything else. Paul experienced it. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure and far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Have you experienced so much trauma that you began to wonder how you'll keep going? Have you despaired of life itself? I think that we need to acknowledge that these journeys that we go on through mental health or even in our lives in general aren't always meant to be easy or peaceful. In fact, I think the Bible is crystal clear from start to finish that this life that we live in right now is going to have pain and suffering and loss and persecution and difficulty. Jesus says, "You're of course you're going to have troubles in this world. I didn't come into this world so that you wouldn't have any troubles But take heart, for I have overcome the world. The hope that we have is in Him and is in the promise that He offers us and the hope that He offers us and the power that He offers us through His Holy Spirit. The hope of Jesus is in the next life where everything is going to be made perfect, where we get to live in perfect, restored relationship with our Father in heaven. But here in this life, there is trial. There is suffering and there is trauma and there is pain and there is depression and there is anxiety. And just because you are a follower of Jesus and you struggle with these things doesn't make you any less saved by him. You got to let that sink in. Because Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and he said, I was so overcome with the struggles that I was facing, I despaired of life itself. We had a hard time. Elijah was called the man of God. Everywhere he went, they would say, the man of God is here. The man of God is in the next town over. The man of God did this. The man of God said that. What a great nickname. He was called the man of God. He spoke to God. God gave him commands the way that you would receive a phone call from somebody. He got a glimpse the glory of God. Elijah was a holy man. But Elijah... Struggled with depression as well. There's this amazing chronicle of his life in in 1 Kings where Elijah has just had a huge victory. An enormous victory. He's defeated some false prophets. He's shown people the power of the one true God. And then they they were eliminating the false prophets from the country to bring it back into its right relationship with God. And it was this great moment, but the queen found out about it or she, already, she knew about it. She was there and she, was, she wanted to kill him. And so she threatened to kill Elijah. It says Ahab told Jezebel about everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I've not taken your, made your life like one of theirs. I'm going to kill you. It says Elijah was afraid and he ran, ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I mean, Elijah says, God, I've given you everything. I've sacrificed. I've done what you've asked me to do. I've been where you've called me. I've helped people. I'm helping your people, your country, your nation, and they still hate me. Maybe they should hate me. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm not much of anything. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. I'm, I'm going to fail just like the rest of them failed. I'm going to sin just like the rest of them sinned. I'm no good. He just came out of the one's biggest miracles of his career, and now he's ruminating on this idea that he'll never be good enough. And that his life should end and he can't handle the pressure anymore. And that's the way it goes. Everyone around you thinks you should be happy, but you're not. So, how do we get there? How do we get there? Last week, Chip tackled this big reason. It's a real reason chemical imbalance, physical brokenness, and our minds get unwell. And it's real. But there's more. Because it's a complicated conversation. It's not the only way we wind up anxious and depressed. Or maybe there are some other things that lead us into a place where we become that way. So I've got some reasons of how I got there. There's six. And I uh, don't have time to preach both the problem and the answer today. And so you're going to have to come back next week. What I hope you can get today is just to hear that you're not alone to understand how you got there and to understand that it's okay to ask for help the rest of the way so here we go number one life imbalances an unbalanced life an unbalanced life will drive you straight down the road of anxiety more and more current research is showing that our lifestyles are a major factor in the current rise of mental illness in our country Our lives are out of balance. We're running at a pace that our souls can't maintain. There's this great illustration. Uh, It's a true story. It goes like this. European missionaries serving in Africa a century ago hired some local villagers to be porters and help them carry supplies from one village to the next. And the porters went on a slower pace than the missionaries wanted them to go. So after the first two days, they pushed them to go much faster And on day three of the trek, the group went twice as far as they had gone on day two. And around the campfire that evening, the missionaries were all sitting around congratulating themselves for their leadership ability and how good they were at getting hard work out of people. But then on day four, the workers would not budge. The porters said, we're not going any further. What's wrong? Asked the missionary. We cannot go any further today, replied the villager's spokesman. Why not? Everyone appears well. Yes, said the lead porter, but we went so quickly yesterday that we must wait here for our souls to catch up with us. I think just too often we don't give any time for our souls to catch up. We're convinced that we've got to move forward at this certain pace, that we need to, we need to accomplish this much, and, and we need to do this and that, and, and we, we've, got to, we've got to make sure that we're covering all of our bases, and we're covering them well, and, and we want to be more productive tomorrow than we were yesterday, and so we keep moving forward, and our souls don't have time to catch up with us this past year, maybe you think I've had the most sedentary year of my life. I just, there was months where I couldn't do anything, where I, I worked from home and then I went out and stared at the grass until I was convinced I needed to cut it again. And then I did. And then I did the same thing the next day. And I haven't, what are you talking about? Imbalanced. I, that's also imbalance. That's also imbalance. This past year was imbalanced all year long because it was always changing we never knew what to expect. We never knew what was coming. We never knew what the next decision, what the next timeline was going to look like. We, never, we had to constantly change and, and figure it out. And we, we were unbalanced, either too busy or too sedentary. We were either too stressed or didn't have, had, we had anxiety because we didn't know what to do or where to go. We were crippled with fear. We had all these things working against us This guy, Stephen Alardi, is a secular psychologist who heads the psychology department of the University of Kansas, and he's known for a method he developed for treating depression called therapeutic lifestyle change. And his whole thesis behind this method of treatment is this, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. King Solomon put it this way, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. When we fill up every single area of our lives with no margin or when we don't have a proper balance, he's talking about this idea, if you've got both hands full and something comes around and shoves you, you've got nothing to catch yourself with. You're going to fall. But on the other hand, if you have one handful and the other one is available, then I can steady myself through every trial, storm, things that are coming along. Balance. We get our lives out of balance, and it pushes us in the wrong direction. I will admit that my pace gets unsustainable. I love to say yes. I love it. I love how it makes people feel when you say yes. I love for people to feel like I think whatever they think is important is important. I like to just kind of watch their expression when you say yes. You can tell. It means something. I love it when things I don't even care about that I'm invited to, I'm like, yes, I would love to do that. I I think that's awesome that you're doing. I'm coming. And I will say yes When I don't need to say yes, when I don't want to say yes, because I I just, I love, I love people. I love making people happy. I love my, I love to spoil my kids. I say yes in department stores way too often. I love this church. And I want to give everything that I can to make it the best that it can be, so I say yes to a lot more than I should, or I give energy I don't have to try and make something better that I get to be a part of, and that's part of what got me into my place of anxiety last year, too much of saying yes. Honestly, for most of us, our lives got out of balance because of the pace of change we were going through. That was happening to me as well. And now it's time for us to begin to get our lives back into balance, life in balance. Second thing is we compare ourselves with others. That's a quick road to anxiety as well. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And we hear that. We know that. We've seen it on a t-shirt somewhere. It's probably true, but we just keep doing it. We keep looking to our left and to our right and wondering, why am I not where they are? Why am I not there yet? I mean, I'm older than them. I, I, I think I work harder. Why am I not where they are? Why do they have more blessing? Why do they have more favor? Why, why am I not? Ah, that was a smart decision. Why didn't I make that decision? Why didn't I see that coming? Why am I not smart like that person is? Why am I? Ah. We're just looking to our left and to our right. We're constantly comparing ourselves and we're constantly falling short. Why don't we have the gifts they got? Why don't we enjoy the favor that they get? And we feel insufficient and we feel unqualified. We think we're not good enough because somebody else looks better. I'm guilty of this one. Last year, I was constantly in comparison mode. Trying to figure out if our church was going to make it through the pandemic. Trying to compare our stats to the stats of every other church that I could find. Trying to compare my ability to navigate crisis with every other leader I knew. It's like, oh man, I, I should have thought about that. I should have thought about that sooner. Oh, I did not see that coming. Why did he see that coming? Why is he smarter than me? I was comparing the year we had before with the year that we were going through at the in 2020, I kept thinking, well, 2019 was a lot easier than this. Man, everybody thought that, right? In the game of comparison, we always find a way to lose, don't we? Wouldn't it be great to struggle with comparison, but you only compare yourself to worse things? Yeah, I struggle with comparison. I don't compare. Man, I'll tell you one thing. I'm doing a lot better than that apple core I left out on the counter yesterday. That thing is brown and stinky, covered in flies. Me? I smell great. I look great. Things are going well. No, we don't do that, do we? We only compare up. We don't ever compare. If you do compare down, then that's narcissism, and that's a whole other thing we can talk through a different time. That's a different mental health struggle that we'll talk through, but we deal with this comparison, and how am I stacking up? Galatians 6, 5, 6, 4, and 5 says this. Each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. You've got enough to carry on your own. You've got enough to carry on your own. You got enough to carry on your own you do not need to add what everyone else has to it as well. Test your actions. In other words, you need to know if you're making wise decisions or not. You need to know if you're doing the right thing or not. But you don't need to say, well, I I should have done more of what they did. No, you need to have some wisdom in your life, someone who can speak into your life and help you test your actions without comparing you to somebody else. There's a healthy way to do this. Comparison. Comparison gets us to that place. Here's a big one. Ruminating and self-talk is my number one. Ruminating and self-talk. And self-talk, it's one my counselor and I talk about a lot. So much of your emotional health is determined by how you talk to yourself. I really struggle with this. I'm really hard on myself. And the harder that I am on myself, the worse that I feel. That sounds obvious, but to me, for some reason, it is not. I think that I should be able to be very hard on myself and then feel great the next day. It doesn't work that way. I'm I'm this terrible critic of myself. There's this voice in my head And it tells me that I'm all alone in carrying the weight that I carry, that it would hurt somebody else to share it with someone else, so i got to keep it to myself. It tells me I'm not getting any better, and I never will. It tells me I'm building a house of cards that the next breeze will probably blow over. It blocks out my tomorrows, and I just get stuck ruminating on the failures of yesterday instead. It tells me that I'm just not good enough for the things that I've been called to do. Have you been there? Have you been your own biggest critic? It's time to start identifying those thoughts and those lies and calling them what they are, calling them lies and replacing them with the truth. It's time to hear that voice in your head saying, hey, you need to carry this one on your own and say, no, that's a lie. No, that's that's actually not true. I hear myself saying that. I know that I'm thinking that. That's not true. I need to call somebody right now. It's time to start identifying the lies in your mind. Take time whenever the voice comes into your head and says that and you've got to take time and circle it and say that's not true about me. I have this exercise I was given by a counselor years ago when I do a bunch of ruminating and self-talk as I journal it out. Whatever whatever it is that I'm saying to myself, I'll I'll write it down and I'll look at it and I'll say, Does that look true or does that look like a lie? I think that's a lie. I don't think that's true. And I'll circle it when it's a lie, and then I'll write the truth down underneath it. It says in Philippians 4, 8, 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The more you learn to replace the lies with the good things, with the truth, with the, with the scriptures like this one that encourage us and, and give us a better direction to walk in, the more you do that, the more the God of peace wells up inside of you. And you start to replace anxiety with peace. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've gotten pretty good at this. I had to go to counseling to learn how to do it. I had a lot of people tell me, oh, John Mark, you got to stop being so hard on yourself. Oh, okay, thanks, man. That's great, helpful. And then I'll <laughs> walk away and be like, <laughs> right back in my head again. And it's just, it's some, for some of you, for some of you, it is, it is, you can do it on your own. You have the strength. You can, you can say, I'm not going to be hard on myself anymore. I'm not going to ruminate over my failures of the past anymore. I'm not going to keep focusing on a bad decision. I'm not going to focus in on a, on a bad thought and just go after it over and over and over and over again. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to circle it. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to replace it with God's promises, and you're going to be able to do that, and this is going to help you so much. Some of you are going to be like me, and you're, gonna, you're just going to need help. There was something wrong with the wiring in my mind. I don't know when it happened it got wired the wrong way. Trauma can do that. You go through trauma, you go through pain, you go through something difficult, and what it can do is it wires your brain the wrong way. And you just may not, on your own, be able to fix that wiring. You might need help. I did. And I've gotten way better at not... Doing negative self talk, at not ruminating on my failures, at moving forward, at identifying what is true and what is lies. But I would not have gotten there without two specific counselors who have been speaking into my life for a long time. Don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. Number four, we find ourselves in this place because of an inability to process pain in a healthy way. The world around us and the enemy who is attacking us wants to offer us every unhealthy means of treating our pain possible. And we gladly accept. We get so bad at processing pain. We put it in all the wrong places. Last year when I started counseling, again, and I should tell you that this is like I went through marriage counseling rail and i've been in marriage counseling before i've been through counseling on my own before this is my third season of counseling last year when i started counseling in the second session i found myself talking about some serious trauma and pain i experienced 12 years prior and honestly when it happened i put it away and i just really didn't think about it at all for years scratched the surface of it occasionally in a story maybe but I just put it away. And then one day I found myself ruminating on it in traffic and feeling sick to my stomach because of it. And so I talked about it. I took it to counseling and worked through it. I thought I was going to counseling for one thing, but after like the second session, I I found that this was what we needed to talk about for a while. It'll go that way sometimes. I said out loud feelings I didn't know I had about it. And as I walked through that process, I began to feel differently. I began to feel healed from something I didn't know I needed healing from. Chip, my counselor, told me that the reason I was beginning to heal after 12 years of not knowing I was in pain is because when we experience a trauma or a pain, a lot of times we tend to just put it away as quickly as we can and shove it in a box. It's like the last box that you pack when you're moving. Who's got a clean last box when you're moving, right? That's a weird box. There's some strange stuff in there. There's a coat hanger. I mean, I, I, you're finding a full lamp with the shade in there. There's a bunch of cushions. There's some underwear, and there's a cowboy hat stuck on top. And it's like, what is happening in this box? You just shove it all in there, put the tape over it, and say, "Get rid of this thing. Send it away. I'm all done packing." That's kind of what we do with our pain and with our trauma. We take it and we put it in this messy box and then we put it away. I actually, this is a true story. I didn't make it up for the message. I, I, ha, I, two years ago, we moved into the house we live in now and the last box that I packed was a disaster. I genuinely grabbed a junk drawer and turned it over into this box. There was like nails in there and there was just a bunch of loose change. There was marbles. There was weird stuff, guys. It was a mess and I put this thing When we moved into our new house, I started to open it and I opened it and I looked in it. And then I just closed it back up, put it on top of my shelf. It was there until about three weeks ago. And about three weeks ago, I was getting something down off the top shelf and I'm not the, you know, it's hard to tell when I'm on the stage, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. And I can reach, uh, my grandfather used to say, I can reach anything that any tall person can as long as I have a stool. But I didn't have a stool that day, so I was climbing on the shelves And I was climbing on the shelves and grabbing this box off the top shelf, or I was grabbing the other thing next to it, and what happened was, the thing I was grabbing, it knocked that box loose, and the box turned over upside down, and it spilled just random garbage all over my closet. And that's just what happened with the trauma in my heart. I was reaching for something else entirely. I was trying to get something else, but I had this big mess that I had never really put away right, and it got knocked open and it just spilled a mess everywhere. It's just bleeding into everything. What happens when you talk about it, with a counselor, with someone you trust in community, and you share with someone that you're willing to get vulnerable with, is every time you open up that box, you can put it away a little bit neater. Every time you open it up, you fold one more thing, Put it away neater and it goes back in a healthier way. That's the power of being vulnerable. So we've all got boxes put away that are messy, and it would benefit us to begin to repackage them. Last year, we all went through a trauma. And it messed with us, and we all found bad, or many of us found bad ways to process that pain. In fact, last March, the first month of the pandemic, month one, remember the two two weeks to flatten the curve? This was just like, okay, this isn't so bad. Two weeks. Drug abuse went up 18% in March. In April, it went up an additional 29%. In May, it went up an additional 42%. We abuse substances, we withdraw from people, we lash out in anger, we binge television that just leaks into every part of our lives where we don't expect it, we treat our pain and we do it in ways that are unhealthy and it hurts us. There was a doctor in the 1950s named Viktor Frankl. He was a psychiatrist at the same time as Dr. Sigmund Freud but he completely disagreed with Freud. Freud's, one of his main theses was that life was about the pursuit of pleasure. That's what he was training people in, teaching, trying to convince people that life's about the pursuit of pleasure. Frankl said, no, life is about the pursuit of purpose. In the absence of purpose, we pursue Pleasures. Frankel opened up a clinic in Austria that was specifically for the treatment of Jewish people who survived the Holocaust. Can you imagine a bigger trauma? Everyone that he talked to was hurting and suicidal. And he just wanted to help. And so he developed a process to help them, and the first step of it was for them to find meaningful work that helped others. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You may have a long journey in front of you. You may have a long journey behind you. You don't have to go through it alone the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What he's saying is, you don't have to go through this alone. God will send you people. He will send you His comfort. The power of His Holy Spirit will give you peace and hope and the strength to keep fighting. then, once you've done that, once you've fought, maybe you're still fighting, God's going to start asking you to be that comfort for somebody else. See, the system of the church that Jesus gave us, who we're called to be in scripture and who God, what he asks of us is that every step that we take forward, we're always reaching back to bring somebody with us. Don't go on this alone. Hey, I've got comfort. It's been hard. I know how you feel. I know the hopelessness you feel. There's so much power. When you're struggling and you feel alone, there's so much power in somebody looking you in the eyes saying, I understand. And you actually believe them. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Jesus said, I I haven't come that you might not have troubles. But I have come, but I have overcome the world. Take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. So you're going to suffer. But I'll be with you as you suffer. And you'll know that I suffered and that you're suffering just the way that I did and that we're in this together. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. There's just so much power when we're vulnerable. One of our core values is that vulnerability is the strength, is our strength at this church. And it's for so long, we've been a part of, of, of a community of believers where we had to be quiet about the biggest struggle in our life. We couldn't admit it. We couldn't say it out loud. We felt like we were doing something wrong when it was a fight instead of just a victory. And I need you to know that this isn't that church. The, the gathering church is the place where you get to raise your hand and say, I need help. I'm suffering. And I have hope and I have faith and I believe in a better tomorrow, but but I had a really hard day today and I need somebody. And this isn't the church where somebody says, what's wrong with you? How dare you? Where's your faith? Did you pray about it? This is the church where somebody goes, I've been there. Me too. Let's take it in the comfort of God together. Let's go through this together. Let's fight together. Let's pray for peace together. Let's keep moving through it together because this is who we were made to be and this is what we're called to do and this is what it means to be a part of the church. This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. When one part of the body suffers, another part, every part of the body suffers with it. We don't go through it alone. We don't tell you to hide in the darkness. We don't tell you to be quiet and deal with it alone. We say, we are the church. And when you hurt, I hurt. And so let's get through this, let's fight, and do it together. Number five is isolation and loneliness. I know I'm out of time, and I'm going as quick as I can. Isolation and loneliness were the first problem in the Bible, not sin. The very first issue we see in scripture is isolation and loneliness. It's why the devil has made the church ineffective at coming alongside people who are suffering in silence. Genesis two eighteen. the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone and I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, Adam was isolated and God said, I will solve this problem for you. And he does. You don't need to be isolated anymore. You need community. You need to be a part of what what God is doing here. You need to be a part of this church, not just so that you can be on the dream team and serve somewhere. We want you to serve somewhere because we believe that when we serve, our purpose is activated. And that when we're alongside another believer, we can start to build a relationship where we can confide, where we can grow, where we can get vulnerable. You need to be in a life group because you need those people in your life. You need to be a part of the body of Christ so that you have someone to go through it alongside of you. And finally, it says in Romans twelve five, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all of the others. Last thing is spiritual warfare. You just, you have an enemy. You have an enemy. He wants to isolate you. He wants you to feel like you're alone. He wants you to feel like you're failing. He wants you to feel like your anxiety is your fault. He wants you to feel like your depression is your fault. He wants you to think something's wrong with you because it's not going away when you ask God to take it away. It says that your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know when lions go on the prow, when they go on the hunt, they look for the least amount of work. They're crafty, they're smart. They're not just pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. They're looking for weakness and they're attacking it. That's how your enemy works. And he's going to find these areas of your mind that are vulnerable and he's going to go after them. Spiritual warfare is a part of all this. It would be foolish. I think we can, we can over-spiritualize mental health in the church and say, you just need to pray about it, it'll all go away. And I think we can under-spiritualize it and say, well, this is all just in our brain and it doesn't have anything to do with your soul. No, it is both. It's a complicated issue. We are complicated creations. And so you got to go after it in every area. Every area. You got to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians says, put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Meaning, you got to get in on your knees in prayer, and you do got to study His Word, and you do need to be writing these things down, these promises He gives you, and you need to pursue Him and and to serve Him, and and you need to you need to find some purpose in your pain. You need to look for others who are suffering and say, you know what? I've suffered in that way before, so I'm now uniquely equipped to serve you in the way that I've been created and called to serve. You need some purpose. You need, you need the disciplines of the faith. You need to fight the spiritual attacks that are coming after you. And you also need to be able to say, I need help. I need a doctor. I need a counselor. I need a friend. I need somebody. You got to be able to do all of it. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk through all of this. Lordy, this is the longest message I've taught in a long time. I'm sorry, Jay. Jay's been playing for a long time over here. <laughs> this is you I hope you can hear it, but this is just my heart. I mean, I've just I've been there. I've been there. I know how lonely it feels. We don't need to be that way anymore. If you're in here today and you've been fighting this battle just alone, without hope, without peace, without joy. Mm. I've been there. I know how hard that is. I know how impossible it feels. You don't have to fight that way anymore. There is a better way. There's freedom for you, there's victories for you. There may be a fight ahead of you, but there is a better way to fight it. If that's you and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus today, Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's just, you start it with a conversation, just like this Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way for me to get to you. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me today for all my mistakes, for trying to do this on my own. I need you. I need your hope. I need your goodness. I need the God of all comforts today to comfort me I give myself to you today my life to you everything that I am from this day forward in Jesus name Amen